Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators. And welcome back to Whiskey for the Ages. I'm your host, Brian Dawson. Tonight, Hannah's here. Hello. And a big thank to those of you tuning in for the first time. And Laura's there. Hi, guys. It's great having you both here tonight. We're in for a new adventure. Oh, yeah? Yes, we are. The world of whiskey is about to get another product on store shelves. American Single Malt. Okay, I kind of like this stuff. So, uh, what's our lineup? The first one we're gonna do is Old Pepper Single Malt. That's oh, what. Oh, I know that one. Yes, yeah. you do. <laughs> yes, you do. And then we're gonna go to Grand Teton Private Stock, a seven-year-old American Single Malt. I had this about uh, a month ago when we had our broadcast with the Kelches. And then I'm going to bring in a Kelly Single Malt from Head Frame in Butte, Montana. And our last one will be Virginia Distillery's Courage and Conviction American Single Malt. That one I've been seeing in the stores bit by bit, more and more. The packaging is quite unique. It's really pretty. It's really pretty. Comes in a metal cylinder. Kind of like E.H. Taylor's, but it's a lot more modern looking. Like where E.H. Taylor looks very rustic, very traditional, very welcoming. The Courage and Conviction looks very brand spanking new. And that's what American Single Malt is all about. Brand spanking new. While the two of you check out the nose, let me share some vitals on this first American Single Malt we're going to sample. The Old Pepper. Yes, the Old Pepper Single Malt. It's a small batch. It's an American single malt whiskey from Old Pepper Distillery, James Pepper Distillery. Single malt, as you might suspect, is 100% malt barley. It is made in Lexington, Kentucky. Done with classic Kentucky bourbon yeast. So they're not using any special yeast for it, but the same yeast that goes in bourbon. There is no barrel entry proof listed on this one, but it is done in new charred oak. It does not have an age statement. It's at 50% alcohol or 100 proof. And the price here in Idaho is $54.95. There are no unique batch or bottle number identifiers on it anywhere. So that price point sits pretty even keel with a lot of offerings in a liquor store. Yeah, we'll talk about pricing on uh, American Single Malts here in a little bit as well. This one should be familiar to both of you. Yes, we both have had this one. Yeah, so what do you think? What does it smell like? I'm getting a lot of caramel from this, which is unusual because the last time that I've had it, it's been a lot more wood heavy, even like old paper 
heavy. It's got a, a sense of oldness to it, but today it's just smelling really, really new. I think it's because it's really cold. Temperature has a lot to do with whiskey. Us three are under the understanding that warmer whiskeys can have a lot more aromas and flavors versus colder temperatures, which can somewhat be a little bit flat. So I wonder how much this is going to evolve. You said it's cold. Have you had this outside? Where was it? Oh, it was just on my countertop. So it's just room temperature then? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no no ice cubes? Like freezing or anything like that. Ah, yeah. Yeah, ours has been in the house as well, so room temperature. Whatever. But it is a little bit cooler. You know, any liquid at room temperature is going to seem colder. Yes. That's just how, how the science works there. I don't know if I get a full-on caramel out of this. I do get a very strong, simple syrup, though. There's a little bit of nuttiness going on, but nothing too forward i would almost want to put out there like a buttery walnut maybe what about uh stone fruit apricot yeah peach, i don't know if i'd want to go a light, i i don't think i'd go a light stone fruit i could maybe go plum yeah another one that i just detected now i've been having a lot of molasses gingerbread cookies that can kind of explain a little bit of the nuttiness because there is a tad bit of saltiness with those. Well, while we uh, continue to nose and sip on this one, I'm going to jump right into our feature. How about an introduction? American Single Malt Whiskey. It is the fastest growing near category in whiskey. I say near category. It is not official. There's no designation for American Single Malt. It is one of the most challenging to define whiskey styles in the world. Of course, there's a tradition here. There's Scotch whiskey. You know, everybody knows Scotch. It's a single malt or a blended whiskey. But it should be in no ways confused with American single malts. American single malts kind of comes from the craft brewing industry. If you think about it, brewers used barley to make beer. Brewers have a lot of influence on American single malts because the next natural step is to distill it. The distillers, especially craft distilleries, are embracing this new form of whiskey. And there's many different barley strains. Here in the United States, there's heirloom, natural barley, there's two-row barley, six-row barley. The American single malts are rarely peated, whereas we think of scotch it is most often peated. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of experimentation going on with this. Well, I mean, you'd be able to if there's no hard, fast rule on what makes it this. So you have a lot of leeway. And the flavor profiles are as different as wherever they're being made. For example, in the cool northwest or the hot and dry southwest in Texas, the high altitudes of the Rocky Mountains, the hot and humid east, all of these locations are going to have a dramatic effect on the way whiskey ages in the barrels. So these nuances are really vast. They're going to be light and floral. Some are going to have fruit like we just mentioned. Some are going to be grain forward. Some will have hints of chocolate or maybe even roastiness like roasted barrels. 
Distillers are creating a distinctly American expression of single malt whiskey. They're focusing on their local identities. They're trying to keep the terroir of the area in mind. Ah, you used a wine term there. I caught that. Terroir. You're going to find a lot of characteristics that may be shared with wine. Obviously, you mentioned the geography and how the climate is going to have an impact. That's on the scientific level. But I think a lot of these craft distilleries, and then you've got the craft breweries doing beer, they're not just embracing the science of what's going on. They're very aware of the science, but I think they're highlighting, this is ours. This is unique to us. This is, this is what makes us us. No one is going to do it like this. So I think that's pretty cool. Historical context here. Let's talk a little bit of history for American single malts. <laughs> First of all, there is very little history. American single malt is a relatively new phenomenon. It was introduced by a gentleman by the name of Steve McCarthy. McCarthy was the founder of Clear Creek Distillery in Portland, Oregon. The place was well known for making a European style of fruit brandy. Eau de vie, if you will. McCarthy's signature brandies were pear brandy, or pear in a bottle, where they actually took a blossom of a pear, put it into a bottle, suspended the bottle in the tree, and the pear grew inside the bottle. Hmm. They used Bartlett pears, and then additional pears were crushed and fermented. I think I read somewhere that it takes about 30 pounds of pears to make one bottle of brandy. Then they're distilled in German-made pot stills, copper stills. He also does apple brandy in the same method, grows a, a golden delicious apple inside the bottle. After the bottles are cleaned, of course, they're filled with Clear Creek apple brandy or pear brandy. And then he makes kind of an odd one, Douglas fir brandy. In other words, if you wanted something that was real piney, what they're actually doing is they go out into the national forests of Oregon and they pick the buds of new growth Douglas firs to make the brandy. I can't imagine chewing on a two by four, but that's gotta be very similar to what this has gotta taste. I wonder how similar it is to some gins because pine is a yeah, pine pine is a big flavor in a lot of gins. Not every gin, but that is kind of the cornerstone of quite a few of them. So that would be interesting to do a side by side. So historically, Clear Creek Distillery has produced the most extraordinary brandies in America and the world. And it's not just me saying this, I've not had it, but New York Times Magazine, Bon Appetit, The Wine Bottle, New York Times Again, and The Whiskey Bible have all commented and said these are some fantastic brandies. Hmm. In 1993, McCarthy took a trip to Scotland. There he was inspired by Lagavulin. Oh, that one. Yeah, heavily, yeah, heavily beaded scotch, a 16-year-old. And upon his return, he began making the first American single malt. Now, let's put this in perspective. This is less than 30 years ago that American single malts are getting their start. 
It's young. We're right at 30 years. Right at 30 years, exactly. We're, we're, we're closing out yep. 2023. So, right about your age, Hannah. <laughs> yep, Hannah's younger than this. How about that? Yeah, we'll go with that one. That's a, <laughs> We'll go with that. I'm younger than single malt. So he began, <laughs> he began by importing peated malt from Scotland. He aged them in sherry barrels. And then instead of finishing them in new oak, he finished them in Oregon oak casks. So he was putting that terroir on his finished product. McCarthy released his first American single malt after being aged in 1996. It was called McCarthy's Oregon Single Malt. His vision laid the foundation for American single malts we have today. There's a commission that got started back in 2016 called the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, and they hold him up as the godfather. Without McCarthy, the category just wouldn't be where it is today. Distiller Steve McCarthy, father of American Single Malt, did pass away this past year, actually in January, just five days short of his 80th birthday. Great contributor to the American Single Malt cause. Now, American Single Malt does face some challenges. Of course, American Single Malt is overshadowed by some industry giants. Bourbon and rye and scotch all are more favored more well-known than American yeah, Single they, Malt. they'll dominate a shelf. American Single Malt also competes not only with Scotch directly, but with single malts from Japan, India, Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, just about anywhere in the world. Competition. Lots of yeah. competition, exactly. And then there's a lack of public and industry understanding. Single malt is not inherently Scottish. Like I noted, it can be made anywhere. And then there's the perception that only imported single malts are of high quality. And of course, American single malts are young. So how can they be good? There's some huge disparities in production and overall costs. As of late November, just here a couple weeks ago, I was checking prices the price of corn is about $4.66 a bushel, or about $0.08 cents a pound. Malted barley starts from about seven forty-five dollars a bushel. Wow. Or not quite double, but pretty doggone close to double the cost. So naturally, the final product is going to be a little bit more expensive. Barley goes through quite a transformation before it can be put into a spirit. The first thing it is, of course, is picked and dried. It's dried because it needs to be stored. Usually they dry it down to about 11% water content. Then it becomes malted. Now here are the malting steps. After it's been stored and dried, they have to rehydrate it. So what they do is they put the barley the raw barley, into a vat of water and pump air into it. Essentially, they're bubbling it. And if they huh. didn't bubble it, what would happen is the barley would drown. And the hydration takes about 48 hours. They bring the water content up to about 44%. And then it starts to germinate. It gets a little sprout on the end of the barley. During the germination, the barley is cycled, or basically stirred, 
it's laid on a on a big floor like uh, area and it's brought from the bottom to the top so it's always mixing it's and, always rolling exactly so during this germination the starches begin to convert to sugar germination takes about three days once the barley begins to sprout it's moved to a drying floor or a kiln in Scotland when they're doing the floor drying they're burning peat underneath it and that's where the flavor of the peat into the barley. Here in the United States, they're typically using a variety of woods. Uh, not, we don't have a lot of peat here in the United States. We have some. There are some companies that are actually using peat, but most often they're using mesquite mm -hmm. or oak or something else. So there's very little smokiness of the peat coming into it. Drying stops the germination and effectively kills the barley. After two to four days, the dried barley is then cleaned. Those dried sprouts and hulls and chaff are removed, and they're bagged, and they're turned around and sent back to the farmers so they can use it for forage for their animals. Huh. It's, hmm. it's very high in protein. This is only with forage. Yeah. The malted barley is then ready to be used by the brewers and, of course, the distillers. Conversely, corn needs to be mashed and then fermented. So there's a lot of steps to malting the barley before it gets used. Mm -hmm. Another challenge is you or I walking into a liquor store, if we walk up to the counter and say, hey, I want to see your American single malts, you wouldn't be surprised if that clerk looked you in the eye and didn't have any idea what you were talking about. American single malts have no place in the liquor store. They're getting there, but I think it's very clear that there's no designated place for them. Like, for instance, we have this, this James Pepper right now. James Pepper makes bourbons. James Pepper makes rye, And you're just going to find the single malt sitting with the other James Peppers. It's not going to be sitting with other single malts. It's just going to be sitting with whatever distillery or whatever line is closest to it most often. It has no section. It has no section. It has no home. Sometimes, depending on where you are, you may have a local shelf, and it might find its way on the local shelf. Mm -hmm. Because quite a few of the distilleries are small craft distilleries. States and store owners, big box retailers, they're all hesitant to purchase American Single Malt. It's such a new product, there's so little advertising, a lot of people just don't know what it is. Can't find it on the shelf. Is it in the bourbon section, the Irish section, the Scotch section, or another section where who knows where it goes? Or all of the above. Exactly. American. Why wouldn't it not be in the American whiskey? There is no there American whiskey section in there. In our liquor stores over here in Idaho, and frankly in a lot of the other liquor stores that we've frequented outside of Idaho, you do have a wall that seems to be committed towards bourbons and scotches. And often you'll find these guys sprinkled in because they're so new and because stores and states have a reluctance to chip in and buy any of this stuff yet there really aren't that many of these products available in the stores. So it doesn't make total sense to create a brand new section dedicated to what would amount to maybe five whiskeys. 
Okay. That's why they're usually just sprinkled in and around wherever they can fit in. So American single malt whiskey has an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. It lacks an official U.S. regulatory definition. The growing production of them has caused distillers to go out and demand this clear definition. They feel that recognition would aid in in-store and label differentiation. And of course, I increase the national product awareness. The Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, or the TTB, doesn't have a designation either. They just say malt whiskey. Malt whiskey could be Japanese whiskey, could be scotch, could be Indian, it could be anything. So that's where the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission comes in. Before we jump in there, let's talk about Old Pepper. Laura, this is your favorite, or one of your favorites. What do you think? Well, I'm definitely getting a lot more of the older elements that I really like. It's interesting that you pointed out 4-H. 4-H is agricultural program. A lot of retail stores, particularly one that I worked at, would offer discounts uh, to these customers because they would have kids essentially farming goats, farming pigs, just any kind of uh, farming animal livestock because they're our future farmers of America. That's what they're called. I am getting a huge agricultural element here. In mm -hmm. fact, like in aftertaste, I was even thinking of straw, like one that you might find at a farm, at a fair, you know. Like this is so crazy. That, that is so funny that you say yeah. that because the first sip that I took of this, it was like, I'm in a horse stable at the fairgrounds. Yep. Like, yep. I, 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 and that's not a bad thing. That's not a dig. Okay. Like I, that was one of my favorite parts of going to the fair as a kid was going into the stables and being able to pet all of the horse noses, feel yeah. how soft the, the velvet of their faces were. But this is very, very earthy. Yeah. You still like it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still love it. It's, I think I have that same nostalgia as a kid, you know, we, I think all the way up until like I was 12, we would go to the fair and yeah, we'd see all the animals mm. and while working at my retail store, I mean, whenever I'd be going into the feed section, that would be exactly what I'd be tasting in here. I'm still getting that fruit element. It's earthy, yes, but I'm getting that apricot not as much as on the nose but that there's a stone fruit and maybe that plum element see now i think i would go closer to a lighter stone fruit however i don't think it's a ripe fruit and i think that it's the surface meat of the fruit like you're getting the peach fuzz okay mm. maybe yeah. maybe even white peaches they don't yeah. seem to have as much of the yeah flavor overall you say golden delicious apples at one point they're it's very mild not, yeah and it's not as sweet as like a pink lady or a red delicious it's not as sweet it's just standard apple are you getting any apple in this i'm not i kind of am now that we've mentioned it it would be Psychology. a very yeah it well probably it would be a very mellow 
mellow yeah, apple yeah. though. It, it's not a punchy one by any means. So let me introduce our next one. I'm going to set that one aside and keep a little sip in my glass and maybe compare them as we go. This next one is Grand Teton Private Stock 7-Year American Single Malt. This is made right here in our home state of Idaho, up in Driggs, Idaho. And it looks like it is the palest of our bunch. Yes, it's very, very yeah, light. It's very almost pale. champagne colored. Yeah. I'm reminded of scotch. Yeah. 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 So Grand Teton Distillery is just outside the Grand Teton Mountains in Driggs, Idaho. It's made of 100% Idaho malted barley. They say Idaho malted barley. It's actually grown less than 80 miles away from the distillery. Again, the barrel entry proof is undisclosed. They use 53-gallon used bourbon barrels. Okay. It's aged 100% in Idaho, above 6,000-foot elevation, and extreme temperatures here. So in Idaho, we often get over 95 degrees for days and weeks during the summer. Conversely, during the winter, at 6,000 feet, it can be 30 below. These barrels are left to the elements. They're under roof, but they're not heated or cooled. So you're getting a massive temperature extreme. Mm -hmm. To date, it's hard to believe, at seven years old, Grand Teton Private Stock is one of the oldest American single malt whiskeys. It too is 100 proof, just like the last one we just had. And it's priced at about $80 a bottle. A definitely a step up from the pepper. Grand Teton is quite a bit smaller than Old Pepper. Yeah. So therefore, they've got more costs involved to make what they're making. Right. All the milling, the fermenting, the distilling, the aging, and the bottling is done by Grand Teton here in Idaho. So it is a true grain-to-glass whiskey. So what do you think on this on the nose? It is crazy how different it is compared to the Old Pepper. So, yeah. keep, so just keep in mind that Old Pepper is made in Kentucky. They're using new oak barrels. This is made in Idaho, a lot drier climate, and they're using used bourbon barrels. Not getting a lot of bourbon no. at all. No. The first dosing that I got was wine, like a yeah. box wine, box <laughs> wine, like hardcore box wine. And then the second time, I got really, like, wheat bread. Homemade wheat bread. Barley bread. Yeah. I think that there's Dragon. a lot of green grapes in this specifically. I don't know if I'd go so far as, like, a boxed wine, but the, a very young wine. I'd say that. A very young wine, very green grapey. To me, it's like kind of eating green grapes. You know, the Thompson seedless grapes? Yeah, exactly those. When I take big inhales, I get a little bit of an apple notes out of it. I kind don't... Of, for me, kind of a tart apple, even. See, but I don't know if I'd go with, with the fruit. I Maybe the blossoms Okay. get into the floral side of okay. things. I get that. It stings a lot more on the nose than the old pepper does. Not in a painful or offensive way. It's just there's a lot more crispness. Okay. Here. Yes. Maybe that's why I'm picking up the apple. Is yeah. I'm thinking crisp apple. 
I have an idea. Apple cider vinegar. I don't know that it's I don't think quite so. as pungent as that. I think it is. It's very, very pungent. It's very tangy. It is tangy. <laughs> but yeah. see, I don't like the smell of apple cider vinegar. And I really I don't either, but that's what I'm getting. <laughs> but but I really like the smell of this. This to me smells very inviting. It smells like it smells like a Gewurz demeanor. Yes. That that's what it smells like. It smells like a Gewurz demeanor. Kind of a sweet wine. A sweet wine has quite a bit of acidity in there. A lot of crispness. Gewurz demeanors, if you if our listeners haven't had it, it is a white wine, a German grape. And it's not carbonated like a champagne is. However, when you sip it, you definitely do get almost a bubbly. There's an thing eper going. effervescence. An effervescence, yeah. yeah. This smells very reminiscent of a Gewurz demeanor to me. Okay. I'm all Gewurz about it. Gewurz demeanors are dangerous. They are I dangerous. <laughs> So back to the story, American Single Malt Whiskey Commission got started in 2016. They have a mission statement. The American Single Malt Whiskey Commission serves to establish, promote, and protect the category of American Single Malt Whiskey. The category that does not exist. Exactly. Formally. The American Single Malt Whiskey Commission has set American Single Malt Standards. They are pushing for legal classification to the TTB, Tax Bureau. They're studying their goal to define the category both domestically and internationally. The commission envisions American single malt signs and displays in liquor stores. And it aims for increased creativity not found in traditional single malt categories. Opportunities for variation, experimentation, and artistic expression are encouraged. And they're hoping for global acceptance as a distinctive spirit. The founding members are Balcones Distilling in Waco, Texas, Copperworks Distilling in Seattle, Washington, Few Distilling in Evanston, Illinois, right outside Chicago, Headframe Spirits in Butte, Montana. We'll be having some of theirs here in a little bit. Santa Fe Spirits in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Triple Eight Distillery in Nantucket, Massachusetts, Virginia Distillery in Lovingston, Virginia, Westland Distillery up in Seattle, and Westward Distillery over in Portland. <laughs> there are about 160 distiller members in the committee, and most are small craft distillers. The current president is Steve Hawley of Westland Distillery. Per the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission back in 2016, American Single Malt Definition. This is their proposed definition. This is their proposed definition. It must be made from 100% malted barley, distilled entirely at one distillery, mashed, distilled, and matured in the United States of America, matured in oak casts of a capacity not to exceed 700 liters, or about 184 gallons. So not specifying new casks or that they could use you could a cask that's already had a spirit in it. Exactly. Distilled to no more than 160 proof, 80% alcohol by volume, which kind of piggybacks on what bourbon is and rise, and that it can be bottled at 80 proof or higher 
which is also yeah. kind of the, the rules of, of whiskey. By comparison, here are the Scotch whiskey regulations. Must be made only of water and malted barley, plus some other cereal grains, if desired. It must be mashed, fermented, distilled to no more than 94% ABV. In other words, pure alcohol. It must be matured in oak casks, not to exceed that 700 liters. So here, American single malts are borrowing off of Scotland's definition of single malts. It cannot contain any additives other than water and caramel coloring. In other words, scotch can have caramel coloring in it. Interestingly, Scotch whiskey must retain the characteristics of its raw materials, production, and maturation methods. In other words, it needs to smell and taste like whiskey. And just like other whiskeys, it needs to be bottled at no less than 40 ABV or 80 proof. Back in end of July last year, the Tobacco and Trade Bureau, the TTB, published Notice 213. The proposed addition of American single malt whiskey to the standards of identity for distilled spirits. Under our proposal, to be labeled an American single malt, the product must be distilled entirely within the United States, must be mashed, distilled, and aged in the United States, must be sourced from a fermented mash of 100% malt barley, distilled no more than 160 proof or less, and stored in oak barrels not to exceed the 700 liters, and they threw in the line, allowable coloring, flavoring, and blending materials would be permitted. Kind of threw things in the, in the lurch. They put a public comment period that was open through the end of September, but they have yet to come to a determination. Through all the reading I've done, it looked like it might happen here in December 2023, but nothing has moved just yet. On a personal note, quite frankly, I think there were probably quite a few comments about barrel storage, whether it was going to be new charred American white oak or previously used or the size of the storage barrel and so on. And then, of course, that allowable coloring and flavoring probably through some monkey wrenches in the whole deal. And then other distillers were talking about blending several various single malts together, much like they do in Scotland, and where would that designation fall? I find this battle for federal designation intriguing and frankly pretty exciting because we're living through historical whiskey times. Frankly, similar to when bourbon got their designation by Congress back in 1964. So we talked about a lot of the makers. Regional climate challenges for American single malt have a lot to do with the heat. The heat variability is a major factor during aging. In some areas of the country, it's not uncommon for a single day to have a temperature swing of 20 to 30 degrees from the hottest part of the day to the coldest part of the morning. With such heat extremes, barrel aging happens much faster. In fact, science says for every 18 degrees Fahrenheit raise, the rate of reactions double inside the barrel. Yet, because they're allowed to use pre-used barrels, American single malts can remain somewhat mellow, as opposed to something with new oak. Right, right. 
With extreme temperature, of course, the barrels are going to expand and contract quite dramatically. Hot weather increases the evaporation rate. The Angel's share is several times that of Scotland. Right. Often after five years, the barrels are only half full. Warm climates accelerate the process of the barrel. Aging whiskey interacts aggressively with the oak and possibly can take up too much oaky flavor. With higher temperatures, there's more development and exchange of fatty acids, tannins, and vanillins in the oak. So you can get a, a more rust flavor profile out of the barley, which is frankly a fairly soft grain. Yeah. It's not like corn where it's in your face sweet or, or rye yeah. where it's punchy and, and peppery. Yeah. I mean, you'll see in those other spirits, when they pull barley in, you all have noticed when we do our mash bills, 10% to 15% of the mash bill is regularly a malted barley, and that's to stabilize it. You know, it's there as the backup, it's there to provide a bit of foundation for those other grains to really play off of. So it's not there to be the main contributor of flavor. To help combat those temperature variations, single malt distillers are adopting creative approaches. Individual business practices contribute to the uniqueness of their single malts. They use local ingredients. Some of them are using high temperature to leverage what's happened. High temperature causes things to happen faster, so they use that to their advantage. They're using diverse barrel types. They're using used bourbon barrels, used sherry, used port barrels. Each practice opens up the possibility for a new dimension. And as I said earlier, experimentation is encouraged. So, Hannah, what do you think of this private stock we're drinking? You know, I'll admit, going into this episode, I've had American single malts before. We've alluded to the fact that the old pepper is one that we've had that we're familiar with. The courage and conviction that we're going to have a little bit later is another one that I am familiar with. This one featured a little bit a few episodes ago. I didn't have any back then, but it was around. My overall take on American single malt isn't extremely high praise. I like my bourbons. I like my rice. However, that being said, this is very refreshing. This is very different this is very unique. It doesn't seem like it's in the same wheelhouse at all as what that old pepper was. So this is definitely not a category of whiskey where you can say one is going to be like the other. There's too much variation on this spectrum here with what they're playing with. I think that there's a lot of earth here again, but it's a little bit and this is going to sound like such a diss, and I don't mean for it to be. It's a little bit like an airport biscuit. Okay, like there's a simplicity to it, but there's also, whoo, I've got a little biscuit. Like It's a happy little moment, and I really like it. I really like this, actually. This is punchy. Yeah. This has got some pepper in it. I like it for that element. It's not something I think I'd reach for all the time, but like you said, it's just, it's pleasant. Mm -hmm. I think this on a hot summer day, this would be nice. Maybe, dare I say, with an ice cube in it? Wow, that's... So in other words, chilled. On this call, you are 
the person I least expect to say those words. I, I just I, think that... I, I, I don't want ice, ice in this at all. If anything, maybe a little bit of like a couple drops of sparkling water. I want like... Oh, let, you want let, to open it up let, even let, more. Let's open it up even more. Let's get some carbonation in there. Let's make it pop. I want it like... Because I really am wanting that girl words demeanor moment yeah. with this. So that's where I'm going. No ice. Well, Laura, what about you? You know, I made a face at the very beginning of this. And it was not something that I expected at all. But I had that kind of not expecting what I was getting when I first tried scotch. I was like, what? I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. But the more I sip this, I actually kind of agree with Hannah. I'd be intrigued to see what the sparkling water would do. Dad, I really get that peppery element. In fact, I walked out a few seconds to get some caraway seeds because I make a lot of rye bread and caraway seed has a peppery aroma, but it also has a kind of sweet aroma that fennel or star anise seeds have. So it's kind of a mix between the two. There's a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of that, but I think it's more peppery. Um, I kind of conducted a mini scientific experiment with that. But I think the more I sip it, I could get behind it. To me, it also tastes a little bit how your apartment smelled when we first got in there. There's no furniture in there yet. The windows have been closed for X amount of hours. Everything is very spotless clean. It's fresh and new. New paint, new carpet. But warmth in there all the same. Yes. This is an interesting one. I like it. Yeah, I do too. I've grown to like it. So our next <laughs> one, Head Frame the Kelly Single Malt. It's made by Head Frame Spirits in Butte, Montana. 100% malted barley from Montana. It's done in multiple barrels. New oak and used never-sweet bourbon. Now, Headframe makes never-sweet bourbon. They've got these used barrels available. And then it's finished about five to six weeks minimum in Oloroso Sherry. Barrels, right? The barrels, yeah. exactly. Char level on those barrels are about number four and number three, and it kind of puts an alligator char on it. It's aged a minimum of two years, so it is very young but it can be up to five years. And some internet sources have said there are some eight-year head frame single malts out there as well. It's non-chill filtered. Now, I bring that up because if you were to put an ice cube in this, particulates are going to form in the whiskey. If you were to pour it out of a cold bottle, you would actually see chunks in it. Now, those chunks are not bad for you. It's basically just fatty esters that are floating in there. When it gets warmed up, they, they dissolve. This is the lowest proof of any of them that we have. 43% ABV or 86 proof. And its price is also the lowest at $45. The Kelly is 100% mashed, fermented, distilled, aged, and bottled in Butte, Montana. So what do you think of the nose on this one? Hannah, you were going to be skeptical. I was. I try very hard to not let bourbon snobbery or whiskey snobbery come into my vocabulary much, 
I, however, don't hold head frame in high regard in comparison to other lines on a shelf. I can smell that it's 86 proof, very readily apparent. Very soft. It smells like Raisin Bran cereal. There, there's a bit of mustiness there. This is so unlike the Grand Teton and very unlike the Old Pepper as well. I don't know. It's wet moss, <laughs> wet earth, wet ground. That's what I'm getting out of the nose. I'll tell you, I'm not, maybe, maybe this is me and my bias coming in. The other two are so much better on the nose. So much better on the nose. I think that has a lot to do with the proof. There's just not a lot back in it here. But, or what do you think? I get a lot of the cereal note that you dated. However, I'm kind of lactose intolerant. You guys don't know. You guys aren't familiar with this flavor as much as I am. This has a very oat milk flavor, like soaked oats. I usually put in a little bit of vanilla into my oat milk, and that helps sweeten it quite a bit. And I'm getting a lot of that, actually. It's very milky to me. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of unusual. Yeah. It's like when you've got the, the milk at the end of a bowl of cereal, and yeah. everything's a little bit soggy. <laughs> There's a company out there making cereal milk ice cream. And you know, I bet it's delicious. Yeah. yeah like, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. What about you, Dad? I'm getting all the things you're saying. It's very soft to me. This is just mild and mild in nature. It just, nothing is in my face on this one. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see comparison of taste when that starts to come. So the American West is one of the best barley growing regions in the world. The power of American single malt is people sharing a vision. So you got farmers working together with brewers who are working together with distillers who are using local ingredients and they're taking all this and they're making it a regional flair. They're adding the locality, the terroir of the area to make this whiskey. They're including everybody. They want to make sure the farmer gets his cut out of the deal. They're creating economies which didn't exist prior to this collaboration. The <laughs> distillers are focusing on experimentation and innovation. They're exploring the different barley strains. The distillers are using varietals, using different malting techniques, and of course the barrel types. They're using everything. So some of the major producers, Westland up in Seattle, Washington, they were one of the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission's founding members. Steve Hawley, current president of the commission, is the director of marketing there. Westland emphasizes the local agriculture through its whiskeys. Makes whiskeys that are reflecting the Pacific Northwest. They're using multiple barley strains. Alba, six-row winter barley, and Talisman, two-row winter barley. They're using Belgian brewer's yeast. And an oak for the barrels called Gary Oak. Gary Oak is a strain that only grows in the Pacific Northwest. And believe it or not, they're getting peat. Peat from just south of Seattle. Westland has made four distinct varieties. They have Westland, with more than 90% of its barley coming from Washington State. Gotta have a namesake. The Gariana, it's aged in the Gariana oak barrels. 
Collier, 100% barley grown from the area. And then Salome. That is their first American whiskey that is made from American peated malt. So in that drying phase, when they're drying out the, the barley, they're introducing the peats. Coming from a, a peat bog two hours south of Seattle. Now, not a lot of that has been released. It's a little over 4,000 bottles. There's also Westward out of Portland. They've been making single malts since 2004, so they're approaching uh, almost 20 years at this. Mm -hmm. They also are a commission founding member. Their head distiller is Miles Monroe, and he began his career as a brewer. Their core expressions are made from two-row barley from the Pacific Northwest. Sierra Nevada natural yeast, yeast that's coming from the area. They're using pre-used barrels. They believe that pre-used barrels are better because big heavy charred oak covers up their new make whiskey. Of course, then there's head frame. So I can talk a little bit about head frame. This is what we're drinking. Head frame spirits in Butte, Montana. I had to look some things up about them. First of all, what the heck is a head frame? A head frame is the steel derrick that sits over the top of a mine hole. The head frame uses pulleys to hoist ore up out of the mine and to put men down inside of it. The Kelly mine specifically got started in 1949 and stayed in operation through 1980 and it's 4810 feet deep. The Kelly mine has three shafts and two head frames. Main head frame can raise and lower 60 men at a time. Holy cow. You talk about an elevator. Would you like that elevator, Laura? No. Going down nearly a mile that, into the yeah, ground? Yeah, I was going to no. say, for just a few hundred feet off. Yep. Now, for why... those of you that don't know, I hate elevators. I prefer stairs, even though I hate stairs just as much as elevators. <laughs> That'd be a lot of stairs to get down a mile. Yep. I know. I just fall. <laughs> I'll take falling. <laughs> so the Kelly mine was actually made to join multiple mine shafts together so they could use this big head frame to pull the ore out. And when it was in its heyday, it could process 15,000 tons of copper ore a day. Big mine. Today, Headframe Spirits sits on the Kelly Mine property and uses some of their buildings for their production facilities. That's cool. Then, of course, there's Stranahan's. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, Stranahan's is pretty big. Yeah. Stranahan's comes out of Denver, Colorado. They got started 20 years ago. They debuted in 2003. Owen Martin is their distiller. They experiment with various specialty malts, and they draw inspiration from craft brewing as well. At a mile above sea level, weather-related shifts in the barometric pressure of mountains has a great deal effect on their production. Their main product is Rocky Mountain Single Malt. Mm -hmm. And they're using barley grown and water sourced from the Rocky Mountains. They actually have developed quite a line. Yes, and they have. They're a relatively big deal in the American single malt bracket 
over here. They've got one that's a blue label and I think it's a Colorado Heights or something to that effect. That one sells pretty well. They also have one that was finished in, I believe, Sherry Casks. Yes. So, and that one is also very popular. All three of them, those, the traditional three, they and, sell really well. And they're also selling barrels. Yeah. Yeah, you can get a barrel. I think they've even had a private select or two. For Idaho, yes. For Idaho. So they're growing at a very quick rate. Yes. Santa Fe Spirits in New Mexico, I mentioned a little bit earlier, during the drying phase of the malting process, they are using mesquite chips to give a campfire smokiness. That makes sense for them. I, yes. I, I like that they're doing that. I think that's clever. And there's a distillery in Arizona that's doing the same thing. Mm. Out here, our neighboring state of Utah has High West. Brendan Coyle, the master distiller there, he's introduced controversy into all of this. He believes that the proposed American single malt definition limits creativity. He'd like to see more innovation with blending. He wants to be able to blend single malts from multiple distilleries, just like they do in Scotland for their blended whiskeys. He's blending different liquids. Yeah. And that's kind of what High West is known for. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it doesn't surprise me that a higher up at High West would want more innovation and experimentation involved in all of this. The Rendezvous the Midwinter Night's Dram, the Campfire, which is a mix of, I believe, a bourbon, a rye, and, a, scotch. A, and a scotch. Like They are out there to ignore the rules. Yes. And one of the reasons why he wants the ability to blend, because of his production facility, he's got a Park City saloon and the ranch facility over in Wansup, Utah, each one of them has to operate under a separate a distiller's license. So by nature, if it's a single malt, it can't be brought in or the liquids can't be brought in from both of those facilities and blended together. He wants the ability to do that. But of course, then it doesn't become a single malt anymore. It just becomes a blended whiskey. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. And which that's already being... I mean, that's a popular field too. And it's all over the place you, lots of liqueurs are like that a lot of the things that you'll see mm -hmm. on that liqueur wall are just blends of things like orange liqueur especially they use three different types of oak they use new charred oak they use bourbon barrels and rye casks and port casks and if you do the various combinations and combinations i guess combinations and permutations there are nine different ways to combine, combine those barrels together to come up with a single liquor. Unless they wanted to go the Maker's 46 route and start breaking down on staves. Exactly. Which would be an interesting, interesting idea, knowing what their variety is. And then down in Texas, down in Waco, Texas, we've got Balcones. Uh, they just recently celebrated their 15th anniversary. They're also a founding member of the commission. Their head distiller is in the news recently because they have decided to stop bourbon production entirely. They're now focusing on rye and American single malt and then they're going to still continue to make a blue corn whiskey. They are working directly with the School of Agriculture at Texas A&M to develop drought and heat tolerant 
varieties of barley. They're working on them. Wow. It's very dry in Texas, as we mm -hmm. all know. Yeah. So there are some of the people that are using barrel entry proofs and various different barrels and chars. They've experimented with entering the barrel at 125 proof, which is the maximum you can do, but then they're also bringing it down and adding more water so that they can bring it in at 110 proof or so on and seeing how that is affecting the whiskey that they're making. Part of that American single malt is the experimentation. Right now their High Plains Texas single malt is made with barley grown and malted in the Lone Star State. Time for uh, a recap of this head frame. Well, Laura, what are you thinking? Well, I'm going to keep my same note of oat milk because I do get that. There's a lot of soaked grains, I think, especially oats. You know, it's interesting. I was doing a little tiny bit of research just now about Butte. I'm familiar with it. Got an elevation of just over 5,000 feet. It is very much a mining town. It's surrounded by mountains. It mined gold, silver in the late 1800s, and then it moved to copper, just like what you said. Perhaps that made a bias for me, because all of a sudden I could taste a little bit of metal. And maybe that's just like a psychological bias, just, you know, research. Oh, well, all of a sudden I can taste like coins or something like that. Because I was an idiot child, and I put coins in my mouth all the time when I was little, so. Well, I think both of us have remarked before that sometimes I can taste a copper penny in the bourbon yeah. I'm drinking or the rye yeah. that I'm drinking. That's never been something I've gotten from anything, but I've never put currency yeah, in my mouth. I was mouth. a child. I was the demonic child. <laughs> Anna, what do you think? It's not bad. I can drink this and not make a face. I think that it's a little bit boring. I do think that the soggy cereal element is still there. It's got a lot of grain in it. There's a lot of grain here. And in that regard, it makes it a bit of a one-note wonder. Yes. And it's young. And it's young. It, it tastes young. It's... Yeah. It tastes like a baby. For a, baby. a location and a distillery that's so entrenched in a historical root... I wish that that reflected a little bit more in what was going on. We also have to keep in mind that I'm me, so whenever I have any whiskey, any spirit at all, I'm doing a value analysis in my head, and $45 for this? No. Never. Never. I'd pay $25, and you'd have to twist my arm a little bit on it. I think $20 is fair. This compared to the other two especially, is so it's not as good. far removed. It's not as good. And we also have to keep in mind that as Dawson's, we like things a little bit of a higher proof. 86 yeah. is a little meh. Yeah, it's underproof for us. It, it, it's it's underproof. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're not giving this the moment that it deserves and not understanding it for what it is. I'll fully admit that's a possibility. It'll be interesting to see down the road they get some age on it and maybe increase the proof a little bit. Put it in that 90 range or even up where the others are at, at 100 
see what happens. Yeah. Because this this could gain some gain some character. Are you getting anything different? Out Nothing. Of it what than... you're saying, I, I think too. It's kind of a one note wonder, highly cereal in, in its nature. Yeah. So our final pour is Virginia Distillery's Courage and Conviction. It is their main line. It's their their one that you'll find. Made in Lovingston, Virginia. 100% malt barley like the others. Alora hasn't had this one. You no. and I have both I have this one. I have the old pepper, so I haven't had the last three of right. these. So this one, 50% of the casks are ex-bourbon. 25% are ex-Fino, Oloroso, or Pedro Jimenez sherry casks. And 25% are in cuvee wine casks. The cuvee is uh, ex-European red wine. And those are kind of an interesting story on it. Uh, what they're doing with them is they're breaking down the casks, shipping them over here, shaving the inside, putting them back together, retoasting and then recharring them so they're actually charring the wine at the same time they've got three different elements working on this this one's aged a minimum of four years although there is no age statement the four years is from their website its abv is 46 percent or 92 proof and at 60 dollars here in idaho Bottle information on the top of the cork. It says this is the Harry Corkburn batch. So what are you getting on the nose? Flintstone vitamins. Dickel-like? No. No, not at all. Not at all. The The red wine, the Cuvier, is very present here. Yes. There's a lot of tannins going on. There's a lot of bitterness, but also acidity. I don't know if there's so much of a red fruit element that you would expect that red wine cask to impart, but everything that makes the foundation of a red wine, it's in here. I get a little bit of the toasting. Yeah. What about you, Alora? I'm going to be way out there. I'm getting such a heavy tequila element in this. Oh. It's a little sour. Yeah, it is a little sour. Like... A lime, like a little tiny, tiny bit of lime, because it's not like a strawberry margarita in any way. This is like if you wanted to make a lime tequila, but put in a little bit of bourbon, this could work. <laughs> this could seriously work because I'm getting a lot of the agave. It's very, very sour. It's just screaming tequila. Interesting. I never yeah. would have gone there, but I, now that you say it... The acidity and the sourness is definitely reminiscent of a tequila. This one is the most sour of our bunch. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that all four of these have been so different. Yes. Like, like yeah. you wouldn't know that they're the same type of whiskey at all. So that's what makes American Single Malt. Talk a little bit about Virginia Distillery. They, too, are a founding member of the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. Gareth Moore is the CEO. Nancy Fraley is a master blender. Little sidebar to Nancy Fraley. She will go to other distillers and help them with their blending. One of our favorites out of Wisconsin, Jay Henry, they've recently released a rye 
and Nancy Fraley was instrumental in helping them. The distillery got started in 2015, so they're not quite 20 years old yet, or 18 coming up on 19. It was started by an Irish immigrant, George Moore. Moore's lifelong dream was to make single malt whiskey in his adopted home of Virginia. Unfortunately, he unexpectedly passed away in 2013, but his family decided to keep his dream alive. They're using the copper pot stills that he had purchased, and the distillate is matched with the maturation environment. They're using high temperature fermentation. Their fermentation and distillate is not heated, but they mature in hot summer conditions that are quite humid. They leverage that climate with the swings to allow the distillate to move in and out of the barrel. They use longer mashing cycles. By using a longer mashing cycle, it creates clearer wort, and by doing so, it eliminates the cereal flavors from the husks in the grain. And that wort is essentially the stuff before the distilling. Exactly. That's part. where the, the the step just before the brewer yep. the brewer's beer comes from. Yep. They use two different strains of yeast and still with that high temperature fermentation. And they're driving development of the fruit and floral esters. This is going to be a kind of a sweeter profile. They have several different batches. We're drinking their Courage and Conviction single malt. Their cider cask finished, and also their George Moore batch. Interestingly, uh, Whiskey Advocate has put the original cider in one of their top 20 ratings. They gave it a number 13 ranking back in 2018. Courage and Conviction single malt scored 90 points. That's what we're drinking right now. George E. Moore batch scored 91. Highly rated stuff then. Yes. That's being compared with bourbons and scotches and Indians. And, yeah. And yeah, they, they, don't, they don't go category specific. It's not a best of show sort of thing. Right. It's a bring what you got, sit at the table, and, and go. Yes. Now, I mentioned a lot of distilleries nobody's ever heard of or very few people have heard of. But Jack Daniels is getting into this. So entering the big brands, Jack Daniels has released a twice-barreled single malt. It's aged in new American white oak barrels. It's finished in the Oloroso sherry casks. And it's bottled straight from the cask at proofs ranging from 106 to 109 or 108. So, and I'm assuming that they're doing charcoal filtering still. Most likely that they are because that's kind of their trademark. Currently, it is slated to remain as an item that they are going to continue to carry, but they're doing it releases in travel retail. In other words, only in duty-free shops and airports. Ah. Uh -huh. And then there's this little company called uh, James B. Beam Distilling Company. Oh, that one. Yeah, Jim Beam. They're doing a Claremont Steep American Single Malt. Interestingly, it's the project of Freddie No. Freddie is oh. the guy that's responsible for the for the Little Book series. You know, that makes total sense that it would be him that would pick this up because he is the most experimental of the bunch. This has him written all over it. 
they're sourcing all of their barley from the Midwest, the upper Midwest, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and so on. They're using the same yeast that they're putting in their bourbons and ryes. And the way they've described it is it's their jug yeast. I envision this jug of yeast that they walk <laughs> around with and put a little bit in each vat. Or like an empty gallon milk. Yeah. <laughs> just pour a little bit in, pour a little bit there. Yeah. It's distilled in a column still, whereas most everybody else is using pot stills. It's aged for five years in new American white oak barrels that have been toasted and then charred to a very small, low-level one. It's 47% ABV or 94 proof, and its price is $60. It's still limited release, but it is going to be a permanent addition to the Beam lineup released each summer. And then another one that you see on the shelves, Kentucky's Limestone Branch Distillery, or we might know it more as Yellowstone. Yellowstone single malts out there. They too are aging in new American oak. I bring that up on all three of those because while all three are the big distillers, they are not yet members of the commission. And one of the reasons why they're not is because they believe that because it's an American product, it needs to be aged in new American oak. So again, a little more controversy. It's such a new thing that they're still trying to figure out what it is. Freddie has actually gone on record to say if the definition is American single malt and it must be aged in any kind of cask, want to do it in new oak, we may not join the commission. So it's interesting to see how that's all ending up. So this courage and conviction, Laura, first up, yeah, your thoughts. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say on this since this is your first crack at it. You know, I'm still really hung up on the tequila element. The reason why is because when I first tasted it, I uh, I had it held in my mouth a little bit long, kind of like what Dad does with all of his whiskeys when he reviews. I was thinking, oh, wow, this has got some fruity elements, like really, really heavy fruit, but not like dark fruit, bright fruit like strawberries. I could put this into a strawberry margarita and be completely satisfied. And then I got the aftertaste, which was salty, incredibly salty, but a savory sort of thing. So like if you were to take some chips and then dip it into like a soup, like really salty chips and then put them into a soup, you could get that or really, really, really salted peanuts as the end. It's, I actually quite like this. This is more, to me, this is more effervescent and actually more refreshing than the second one, the, uh, the Grand Teton. Wow, so. it's like we're having something completely different right now, you and yeah. I. I'm not getting any of that. Like, there's, frankly, there's nothing that you said that I, that, that I get. Okay. <laughs> Um, this happens a lot, actually. This you does happen a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I, that, I, that's why I was so surprised when we agreed so strongly on the old pepper. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I think, is the most scotch-like out of the four. I do get a peaty type of element. It comes in on the finish. It's not particularly there. 
on the palette itself. I think that there's, again, that Cuvier influence, particularly in the tannins. I guess there is some acidity. Maybe that's the closest I can get to you in your tequila I over there. I think you're tasting the toasted wine. That's what I'm saying. The Cuvier yeah. would be yeah. would be the Cuvier barrels there. So the tannins are there. There's a bit of bitterness that comes in. I'm not getting a lot of any particular fruit, grain. This is just like a peaty red wine. Hmm. I think this one has the biggest body. That's something that I definitely did want to say. Out of the four, the body on this one is the most intense by far. I think it's the most complex. Yes, I yeah, would agree to I, that. I would agree. I think the runner-up is probably Old Pepper for me. So uh, this, so 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 this one, the Courage and Conviction, is your number one. I didn't say that. <laughs> you said runner-up. The most body, but so like, would, like so, as you say, and I'm interpreting body from what you're saying as the most variety, like I, the most what you could go off of. When I say body, I mean like weight. The 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 presence of this one is the heaviest. There's a lot going on uh, here. Out out of there, out of all okay. of them. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, what? There what, is a lot going on. So what would be your ranking then? Wait, or at least, okay. what are your top two out of these four? I think Old Pepper and this one. I like if you were to ask me three years ago if I liked this one, the one that we're tasting right now, the Virginia, I would have said I hated it because I could get just tequila, but. I have been trying out more tequilas, neat. It's kind of become an acquired taste, so I can understand it more. There is a lot going on. I love the fact that I can get that sweet before it turns extremely salty for me. I, it's a firework. It's a, it's a tiny firework. And that's like what you like. Like screamer ones. Yeah, you, you like It's those? like a screamer yeah. firework. <laughs> Short, but powerful. So I'm going to... Set both of you on your ear. I get Gerwert's demeanor. I get a oh. dry Riesling. Okay, I'd go dry Riesling. I can see your dried Riesling. Okay. I reject your Gerwert's demeanor. I get apricots. I think is right. I, I agree with that. I get apricots. I get peaches out of this. You're finding peaches everywhere. Like, you're talking stone fruits on every single yes, one of these. Things. I think these are stone. I, I think these. I think American single malt. That could be a common characteristic, a stone of some sort. Yes, there is acidity here, but not in a citrus kind of way. It's more in the stone fruit acidity of maybe unripe peach. This has got. Some, that before on the second one. This has got some heat that's hitting the back of the throat. Yeah. But not in a in the hot sense, more in the in the whiskey sense. Yeah. There's a familiarity with whiskey that it gets you in the throat, but not overbearing in any way. No, it, it doesn't hurt, but there is a warmth there. This is sweet, but at the same time the sour elements that you're you're mentioning. So what what are your top two? Oh, by far this is number one. And I'm going to say the uh, Grand Teton is number two for me, Pepper number three, and then 
and frame number four. I think I'd go Grand Teton is my favorite by far, like by far. I love that one. And that's the highest priced one, which is odd for me. That one's my favorite. Old Pepper number two, this one number three, the Courage and Conviction, head frame number four. I just tried something. I tried a sip of this, the Virginia. And then I tried a tiny little sip of the Grand Teton. I'm actually taking what you said, Dad, earlier and leaving like a sip behind. Yes. That way I can compare. Oh, man. Grand Teton so much sweeter. I'm yes. now getting the Gomorrah's demeanor. I'm now getting it. Now I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, think on this. Yeah. I'm going to jump in and finish this out here. American Single Malt, as you can tell, is made nearly everywhere. When you talk in terms of everywhere, we've got few spirits in Illinois. New Holland and Michigan. In New York, there's Van Brunt Stillhouse. North Carolina, Blue Ridge Distilling Company. Pennsylvania, New Liberty. Wisconsin, Door County. They have a Door County distillery. They have a single mount there. So don't pigeonhole yourself. Go out and find some. Hey, if you don't like it, it's been an experiment. You got to find out. And you know what? If you don't like it, go buy a different one. I promise you the second one you buy is not going to taste like the first one you buy. There's so much difference in these four here. You can't say that they're yeah. all the same whiskey. Yeah. They are the same yeah, same grain. It makes me curious if anybody would want to do an American single malt infinity bottle. Like you're 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 maybe maybe you're you're you throwing know? in so many different things at once. You know, I was thinking about that. I've been thinking about that through the majority of this podcast. I have an idea to start my own Infinity Bottle because where I'm at, Dad sends me little samples. That way we're, you know, like, well, how, how many ounces? Two ounces of each. Two, yeah. And I've had the idea for quite a long while to start my own Infinity Bottle based on those samples because I always have a little bit left, like maybe an ounce left. So it'd just be those. And I've been wondering just how different I could make this Infinity Bottle with just these. Like in the past two podcasts, I think I've talked about programming and flights. Like Buffalo Trace, like compared to like Four Seasons. I have no idea how to program these. This this is no program. This is a disjointed concert. Yeah. This is a very disjointed. Like it in comparison to music, this is 20th century where you get a bunch of atonal like music that just does not make sense in the ear. You have no idea what you're listening to. You have no idea where the music is going, and it sounds odd. Yeah. And I get Plainly that. Odd is how I kind of compare yeah. 20th century music. I guess if you were going to put this in a concert setting, you'd almost have to start with the head frame just to set the stage. You know, I or actually it could it be seconds because I if you're talking to a bourbon audience, I program the old pepper because the old pepper has the most bourbon traces. I I think that the order that we went in actually served very well. I think we got something that was 
here I am, I'm standing here, I'm going to put my best foot forward, here we yeah. go. We got something that was very sweet, very gentle, approachable afterwards, then we got something that was almost the antithesis of that and now we're finishing up with something that carries a lot of complexity and body to it. I think it worked out. And I chose yeah. the order because we were all familiar with the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I already had done these before, so I knew I liked the, the last one best. I knew that going in. And for me, I was saving it for me. <laughs> So let's jump into this fortnight in whiskey. My first story tonight is, do you want to know more about American Single Malt? Virginia Distillery has put together a free class that you can download. It's the Academy for Single Malt. <laughs> this, the distillery has launched ASM Academy, a free comprehensive educational guide so you can explore all things American Single Malt. It's an online training portal with both videos and quizzes. The course is not wholly centered on Virginia Distillery. Other single malt producers are included, as well as the whiskey's greater history. The course is intended to be used as a training tool for other producers, distributors, bars, and restaurants. It features 28 lessons and 30 minutes of video content. And the videos are ranging anywhere from what is single malt and American single malt regions to a breakdown of the single malt production process and how American single malts differ from other single malts around the world. Are it, textbooks involved? No textbooks involved. Thank In God, fact, I hate textbooks. <laughs> I love reading. I hate textbooks. In fact, after reading this news story, I went to the site. The course can be found at courageandconviction.com slash pages slash academy. So that's courageandconviction.com slash pages slash academy. It's a completely free course. I've downloaded it. I have yet to read it and listen to it and watch it. But it's something I am looking forward to. And reminder, we don't get any remuneration for mentioning it. This is just a tool that you can use to educate yourself a little bit further beyond what we've talked about today. We've talked pretty extensively about it, I know. But there's always more to learn, and why not? Story number two, Fry Ranch releases American Single Malt. Now, I have a little confession. I've never had Fry Ranch However, out here in Boise, Idaho, Fry Ranch has been something that is on many people's lips and thoughts and what have you. Fry Ranch is located in uh, Fallon, Nevada, near Reno. The owners, Colby and Ashley Fry, are making bourbons and ryes, and, but they're using everything from their own farm. They call it ground to glass. Everything that they're growing never leaves their farm. 
they're growing it, they're mashing it, they're grinding it, they're doing everything right on the farm. So much so that Colby took an old grain silo and converted it into a malting drum. I'm envisioning this malting drum to be like a great big cement mixer. <laughs> a fireplace was fashioned into an on-site smoker. And he's making his own peat. He's taking decomposed plant matter, pressing it into bread pans, then dehydrating it, and they're burning that in the smoker. A very interesting concept. But I guess if you can use wood or anything to smoke, why not? Their newest expression, Fry Ranch American Single Malt Smoked Whiskey, had its first release, and it came out at 110 proof, or 55 ABV, and it sold online and at the distillery in 375 milliliter bottles at $60 a bottle. So that's a pretty big ask oh, steep. for a very unique product. Their goal is to have their sales in all 50 states. However, they have stated right up front they're not going to mess with quality. If they're not ready to move to the next state, they're not going to move. I think it would be really smart to get some experience with the American malt whiskey first and foremost before splurging on that, just so that you have an understanding of the depth of how different it can be. That is, that's wise. Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. wise. Really I'm a very methodical person. I, I'm impulsive, yes, but when I have time to think about it logically, I will take the necessary time and steps to make a decision. Good points, good points. So now we've been talking about these brand new whiskeys. My final story tonight, the world's oldest whiskey has recently been discovered. You guys could probably figure out that this oldest whiskey is coming from Scotland. Yeah, that was, that was my guess. This oh last summer, not the one that's just passed, but 2022, the curator of Blair Castle was nosing around the cellar. And in the process of nosing around the cellar, he found a hidden door and pushed on it and went behind the door and found 40 bottles of whiskey. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Time never changes. We have some of our whiskey hidden behind secret doors. No joke. No joke. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. It's the cold hard truth. We have secret doors. Yes. Exclusive for whiskey. Please. So 40 of these <laughs> bottles of whiskey were found. The whiskey was distilled in 1833 and bottled in 1841. So it went in as a nine-year-old back then. A, that's pretty well, impressive. Eight -year -old. Yeah. Eight -year -old. Yeah, yeah, an eight-year-old. Yep, and that's pretty impressive. One might ask, how do they know? Uh, this woman, I, Bertie Troughton, resident trustee at Blair Castle, discovered this whiskey on the back shelf of the 750-year-old castle. Experts have authenticated the whiskey's 19th century origin through archives written down by Blair Castle and Atoll Estates. The archives included 
a seller inventory <laughs> known as the bin books. In one bin book dated July 23rd, 1834, one year after the whiskey was initially cask, shows whiskey recorded in the cellar safely in its cask. It specifically references bin 65 store whiskey, 72 bottles equaling 40 gallons in wood. It's one of the earliest references of whiskey maturing in wood. Scottish University's Environmental Research Center applied carbon dating to source the whiskey origins and they confirmed that it was distilled in the 1830s. To add additional historical context, whiskey has always been a part of the history of Blair Castle. Queen Victoria had strong connections to Blair Castle. Of course she did. And she also had a close friendship with the six duchess of Atoll. In 1844, Queen Victoria and her consort Prince Albert stayed at the castle. During the three-week stay, the Blair Castle household book notes whiskey was consumed during her visit. Local newspapers at the time reported Queen Victoria's liking for a toll bros, a local drink of whiskey with honey. It's highly likely this same whiskey was sipped by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert during their stay at the castle. That's so cool. The discovered bottles were initially sampled by the family and a local whiskey expert. Oh, I don't know if that'd be good anymore. I mean, like, I don't know. That's a lot of air. The temperature doesn't change. Era. Yeah, but <laughs> you're, you're not going to convince me that a 19th century, an early 19th century at that is creating an airtight bottle. Well, it's in a cellar, too. It's so in a it's, cellar. It's, Who knows if it like was waxed? a lot of controlled or uncontrolled environmental changes in a cellar. Angus McRae, old and rare whiskey specialist and co-founder of the Kilth Distillery, said, To taste it myself has been a great privilege. It is very much a distillate driven by malt with minimal wood influence and one of the style which could have been produced at any time up until the late 1950s. What I find most interesting, he said, is this profile existed already as far back as 1830. Well, I have to bring up a question. This is all happening in the 1800s, right? 1833 oh. to 1844. Yeah. And you say that this is the oldest whiskey in the world. The oldest whiskey found. Found. Okay, yeah. found. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then that answers my question. Because I was just about to bring up, well, Dad, you had the whole Revolutionary War history on whiskey. And that's before the 1800s. Yeah. Okay. So I just the, the, this pay is attention to the fine print. Yeah. The, the, of that statement. This isn't to say that this is the first whiskey ever. This is just the oldest one recorded from that time period where there's still liquid left. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't read the fine print of 
of yeah, that statement. I would think it's highly unlikely that there's any of the American whiskeys no. that are left. Well, or yeah, if they are, all consumed by the soldiers, which more. Yeah, yeah. That, that stuff's all gone. 24 of the bottles are being sold through the Perth-based whiskey auctioneer. And they have been known for auctioning some of the world's rarest whiskey bottlings. They're expected to bring a minimum of 10,000 pounds each or about $12,000 a bottle. The remaining bottles, I think there's 16, are going to remain on exhibit at Blair Castle. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of them have already been opened and drank. As always, links to the above stories are on our website are posted with citations to give credit where they came from. So that's our show. So what do you think, girls? We learned a lot tonight. I think that it's ignorant and naive to think in America the end-all be-all is going to be limited to bourbon and to rye. There's always going to be the need for the new up-and-coming. I think that the innovation within craft breweries is just the prelude to what is going on now. It makes complete sense to me. It makes complete sense why we've ought to be jumping in on this as well. I agree. I brought this up because I kept seeing it in the stores. I had to try it. Now I've got four and under our belt. I have a Let's go get more. I have a review yeah. that I intend to get posted here not too long on the Courage and Conviction. I'll be the first to admit, you might not like it. But it's worth a shot. I do like it. Maybe not for Hannah. Maybe not for Laura. But then again, rye is maybe not my favorite. Hannah likes the rye. I think it's really important to physically see the evolution of American whiskey. Because what we tasted tonight, yes, it's a newer field. I'm going to compare it again to music in 20th century music. It wasn't readily accepted at first at all in fact it had a lot of opposition to it but it's so influential to today's music that we have to trace it back we have to keep talking about it and even that 20th century music that sounded so unfamiliar was still based on traditional music just like how these four they're new yes very very different whiskeys but there's still hints of what we could, like, find. We traced it back to scotch. We traced it back to bourbon. I traced one of them back to tequila. So it's a myriad of tradition, but mixed in with the new. So it's really interesting to see how whiskey in America evolves. And I think it's really important to talk about and be able to experiment with it. And who knows? There could be some American malt whiskey that is completely different to what we just tasted. Oh, tonight. absolutely. Absolutely. Be interesting to taste one that was uh, smoked. Yeah. Smoked with yeah. Uh, mesquite. Or peated, like more heavily peated. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think exactly. those are all really good points, Alora. I liked that. So, upcoming episodes. In less than two weeks, we're going to do an open mic night. We are calling on you listeners out there. We are going to be recording on Sunday night, December 17th. Laura will be back home and with us. 
Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) We use Google Meet to be a guest on the show. Participants must have a computer with a camera, a microphone, and or headphones and speakers. We will be uploading on or around Thursday, the 21st of December. For this show, we'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join in the discussion. Along with the three of us, we're thinking three to five guests. Haven't put a limit on it, but we're thinking three to five guests plus us. We'll provide a loose outline of the discussion beforehand, and we'll talk about how each of us began our whiskey journeys. We'll talk about what each of us are drinking and why it was chosen. And then we'll just kind of have a round robin of whiskey-related topics. So just come sit down with us, have a pour, and don't think of it as anything more than we're sitting around a bonfire together or we're sitting at a restaurant together and we're just kicking back, having a good time. In the comfort of your own home. Yep. For those interested, send your participation request along with one or two discussion ideas, a short personal whiskey bio, and send it to me, and my email address is brian, B-R-I-A-N, at whiskeyfortheages.com. And that's whiskey with an E, W-H-I-S-K-E-Y-F-O-R-T-H-E-A-G-E-S.com. Just how you see it on our website. Consideration cutoff date will be Thursday, the 14th of December. So get those participation requests in soon. After that, we're going to go into our history a little bit again. Going to explore the 19th century. Uh, We're looking forward to that. And then we're going to be wrapping up our season, just like we did last time, with a listener's pick. So be on the lookout soon for us to be posting a couple of unicorns from our bunker and we're going to let you guys pick what we drink, pick what we review. That's what we've got coming. So this series is winding down. Three more episodes. It's been a history lesson, folks. Sorry for that, for those of you who may not like history, but hey, we are whiskey for the ages. Multi-layered meaning. So, as we end out every show, girls, thanks for participating with me. Thanks for listening in. And listeners, thank you as well. We've got our glasses, our Glen Cairns ready. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.